Welcome to the Stuck in Rut Podcast. Got him. Dropped him. Nice shot, buddy. We are excited to bring you our stories and hunting tips to elevate your outdoor adventures and experiences. We aim to uncover the real, raw strategies of do-it-yourself hunting that will bring your dreams to life and generate success. To follow along with our yearly hunts, subscribe to Stuck in the Rut on YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we sit down with Travis and Tom Schneider, my brothers, and we just do a little Q&A, talk back and forth about how their spring has been going. They've been doing a lot of work, a little less hunting, but we wanted to bring some answers to you guys of the questions that you've been asking on Instagram and YouTube and get in touch with Tom and Travis. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Let's just start off talking to Trav and Tom about how their spring has been. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Thanks for having us, Tana. Always a pleasure. Yes, Tana. Thank you. You guys have been working hard, I know, building houses and doing a lot of construction and, and landscaping and stuff. Have you been able to get out in the woods and put the miles on yet? Uh, actually, sadly, no, we have not. We went horn hunting a few times uh, here maybe two weeks ago, and we didn't see any bear sign yet. There's still a lot of snowpack in the high country. Yes, we do know there's bears out, but um, with limited time this spring, we're going to go out when all of them are out. Shed hunting, have you found anything? Uh, yeah, Tom found a really big spike, Elkhorn. Whoa. <laughs> those, those are hard to see. <laughs> we did go there and covered. We posted that video already. Found a fresh six point. I found a last year's shed, a big one. And then I found a last year's shed as well. But really, we haven't found a whole lot. I mean, just... Yeah, we're building Tom a house this year. We built me a house last year. So once we get all these flipping houses out of the way, maybe we can start hunting <laughs> like we like to do. <laughs> Trying to get settled down. Yeah. We all, all of us have little kids, but we're all just trying to get settled. Yeah. I think everybody just dreams about horn hunting with you two. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. pretty lucky. We like it. It's been a good year. We had a we had a weird uh, weird winter and everything, but we were able to pick up a couple sheds and do pretty well. Yeah. But we're pretty much done. It we've had such nice weather that uh, all that grass has grown up, and it's really hard to spot sheds now. So we're wow. pretty excited about going to kill some calf killers, and brown bear season opens on the tenth. And we've seen wow. three big ones. Yeah, we've seen three big ones over nine feet. They're they're hogs. They're out and about, wow. and ready to start eating. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. When do the moose calves drop up there? Because I know the elk calves start. You know, we've shot a couple bears off of fresh elk calves the last week of May here in Idaho. So when do the moose calves start to drop up there? Pretty, pretty Any right. Time, right? Yeah, spot on early May, like the first two weeks of May kind of depends on what drainage and region, but probably the second to third yeah. week of May from all the biologists I've talked to, they'll start Great. going. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we don't, not sure where we're going to go yet. I'm taking Tana as the guide and <laughs> I'm going to take my 10 year old out. She really wants to get a bear and first legal bear she sees, she's going to shoot it, whether it's a six footer or a 10 footer. So excited. 
Can you believe Adam is dropping off his wife and his daughter out in the wilderness? Like, see you later. <laughs> Go get a bear. I don't see any problem with that at all. They're both Tana skilled. Take a big back on Tana. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely will. Tana's. All right. Let's start with the first question. Um, this person wants to know some elk hunting tips for Idaho in September and what to do if the bulls aren't calling. Go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what to do if the bulls aren't calling that is always a very hard one. Um, I haven't personally had a whole lot of success with it, but you know, our dad has told lots of stories when they would just sit down and cow call, um, especially early September when they're not super hot yet and bulls will come in silent. Um, we have had it happen a few times, come to think of it. But it's usually midday, so we, we aren't having any calls. We aren't having any action, and it's kind of like we, for a while, we were calling it kind of like the 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock magic um, time when we were just, uh, you know, sit down, eat lunch. We'd let off a couple cow calls just because we were bored, and then all of a sudden uh, we'd hear a bull run off because we weren't ready, but uh, it came in silent, or one would get fired up like midday you know, when 90% of the people in the woods are probably back to their pickup at that time. So we have seen that work a few times, but it is, it is hard. I'd say if you have the choice to spend your, spend your time when the calling's good, you know, you can also, I mean, if you're in open country, you can spot bulls and spot stock better than that. Try's pretty much correct. It's pretty tough to try to kill a bull if he's not talking. So yeah, sometimes they come in silent. We've had one time where uh, we glassed a bull. It was kind of in an open huckleberry patch, and we glassed the bull bed down. And Travis like, let's just sneak up really close to him and just do a cow call. And Travis did a cow call, and he just came running in quiet. Completely just, silent. Just completely yep. silent. So, um, yeah. That was early season, the first week of he September. Was just, he was just a bull roaming. He didn't have anything else with him, so. No cows with them. Next question. This person from YouTube wants to know if you guys are ever going to do any outfitting at a later date because you always find giants. That's another tough thing. Uh, <laughs> I've always had had it in the back of my mind, like, oh, maybe we should do it. Maybe we should do it. But the only unfortunate thing is for us, um, the areas we hunt, you know, after we take one bull elk out, you don't want to take another bull elk out of that area. You know, you want the other ones to grow. And and the unfortunate thing about outfitting to make a business with it, you have to consistently get your clients <clears throat> tax filled. And, you know, for us, in our hunting areas, we probably pull out two or three bulls a year. And for us to actually make it a living, we'd probably would have to pull over a dozen or plus and and it would just bring the quality down um, with everything, with elk, deer. So, and the other thing too is just being a general tag. You know, we always have the fear of bringing people and showing them some of our secret hunting spots. And then all of a sudden, well, they can just go right to where they've been, you know. So for us, we thought of it. We would love to take people out. But I just don't think, well, especially with the little wildlife we have up here anymore, 
I don't think we could actually make a good living being an outfitter. Um, I think there's certain areas in Arizona, New Mexico, other places like that where you would have some serious success, but those would be drawings. So that's even the, the other challenge too. Idaho has some really strange rules with the outfitting. We've looked into it and they really limit you and where you can take people. So, um, yeah, we've, we've balanced the idea around a ton and every way we looked at it, there was always a dead end. So yeah, I guess as of now, we're still just hunting for ourselves and for our family and close friends. Yeah. I, we did look into it a little bit this year, um, in Montana we found a, a good spot. And, um, I, the thing that I've thought about a lot is, you know, it'd be really fun for me to go with somebody that drew a really um, good hunt, you know, and I could go help them find a, a big animal if that was what they were looking for. But there's too many rules and regulations. Yeah. You if you're an outfitter, you kind of have to pick your spot and you, you have to pick, you know, certain drainages that you're going to hunt. And you can't just necessarily go from state to state hunting wherever you want with whoever you want and getting paid for it. So we've just always stayed clear of it, you know, followed the rules as far as that goes. And you just, everywhere you can't take any compensation for pay, um, for guides. And we just, we like to pull the trigger ourselves. So I would say the answer is no for now, but we would love to do it someday if there wasn't so many rules and regulations, but it seems like just more rules and regulations come about less. So. Playing simple. I'm with Trav. I, I want to pull the trigger. Um, it's getting to the point now where I want to be a little bit more selective possibly. And, but I also want to see my kids shoot stuff and I just don't have enough time off. I want to, I got to redeem myself with Trav on a sheep. Tom wants to whack a goat. Pretty soon we're going to be doing brown bear in the fall with bows. And then we want to do an archery moose hunt. And I just look at all the plans. I mean, I'm booked with you guys and kids for easily five years and I like pulling the trigger I was a fishing guide for 10 years and that kind of ruined it for me. And same thing, Alaska's, it's heavily regulated with, you get to pick three units, you get to guide in up here and those are your units. That being said, I would be kind of a shoe in to go to be I I don't know how it works, but you start out as a guide and then eventually become or an assistant guide and become a registered guide, I think. And then eventually you get your own areas and stuff like that. And I'm a pilot, so I could do all the own, my own flying and everything, but um, I just want to hunt for myself and hunt with family and enjoy it. And I think all that would go away if I turned it into a job and that scares me because nothing really compares yeah. to hunting. So I'm not going to risk it. Yeah, I agree. And one thing, when we called and we asked uh, the fishing game about it in Montana, they said the same thing. We would actually have to go work for another outfitter for a year, like be a packer for somebody, um, to be able to be qualified to be an outfitter. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm getting older, not younger. I'm 33. I'm not going to go waste a year of my hunting season to go pack meat for somebody else for a hundred dollars a day, just so that I can uh, be an outfitter the next year. It's just too many rules. Next, uh, next question. <laughs> next question. What is the deepest, darkest, nastiest hole that you've been in hunting? Just nast- nastiest. Don't well, don't say any Adam, names. Right where Adam goes. <laughs> <laughs> similar to moose hunting around that that <laughs> hole right there was a really bad hole <laughs> you can describe it like what was it like <laughs> was it well, beautiful we had, meadows like, <laughs> we called it hell canyon and and everything was just hell there 
um, the time that we were there, we had to pack our moose uh, two miles to the lake. Um, and yeah, it was just an alder, nasty, muddy place. It rained for eight days straight and it was slippery. There was mud halfway up your calf most of the time and fighting alders with a big moose rack. It was a rewarding trip, but we had to work for it. And you can see the pain in those videos. Two miles doesn't seem like a long ways, but if you have a moose quarter and you have nasty conditions, it's it changes a lot. It's like packing an elk quarter eight miles. I'd rather pack an elk quarter eight miles. Yeah. <laughs> we've, Definitely. We've done it comfortably versus moose quarters. Moose quarters are very, very painful. But we have some we have some heck holes close to us as well. I mean, um, we we didn't have it as good as my dad did when he was a little younger, started out archery hunting, but he tells us stories about you know, in one um, season, he called in like 33 bull elk or something like that wow. um, in archery range. And he never saw a piece of hair. So, you know, you'll see the alders moving, you see a flash of a horn, but he never saw an elk to shoot at with a bow because the alders are so tall and so thick. And that was in, you know, Northwest Montana um, years ago. And so we've hunted basins like that and um, they are dang near impossible to kill unless you're going to sit over a wall or something with a tree stand. Um, gotcha across yeah, we've, I've had bull elk myself at seven or eight yards and not had a shot with a bow. So it's thick, thick country. We, we tend to like to travel elsewhere where we can, there's more elk and we can glass and, um, yeah. Some more of the sagebrush country. <laughs> We're starting to enjoy that other country a little bit more. I, I mean, a lot of people have probably seen the, the change in our stuck in our videos that used to be from where we used to live. And then we started realizing the grass was a little bit greener on the other <laughs> side. I mean, yeah. sagebrush is not as, I mean, I'd say it's, I don't consider sagebrush as pretty, but there's just a lot more animals. I don't get it. I don't you can get see it. farther. And can, see. can see farther. What about you, Tana? What's your, your worst ever? Alders are just, I thought your goat hunt was pretty nasty. It's kind of a tie between my goat and my sheep hunt. Where Travis <laughs> took us was pretty awful. <laughs> and then, but the goat hunt was so steep. It was like steep alders with slick grass where it was wet. And like if you like slip, if you slip, you fall to your death. And yeah. I had crampons on. So I don't know. That was probably one of the nastiest thickets I've ever been in is that goat hunt. But just anything with alders, those tall alders that are like 15 feet high and you can't walk through <sighs> so fun <laughs> I got, trevor and i got in a really nasty hole last year where we were i think we were nine miles back and i drew a line with my foot i'm like we cannot go any farther than this <laughs> got to pull the bugle past the nine mile mark that was all in one day we were nine miles away from the pickup and in this and we were on the top of the ridge looking down in a deep, dark hole, and there's this bull chasing his cows around. And we can tell that he had no control over his cows. And so we're like, I think we can call this bull in. And when we go down, it's just like, same story. Like, alders, no trail. So when we're going down, we're like, how are we going to pack this thing out of this hole? Like, I don't think we could even get a mule back here, you know? We got down there, and... We called the bull in really close. Probably it was he was point blank ten yards, but no shot. 
decent six point. But when he ran away, I was so glad. I was like, I was like, I'm it's weird to say, but I'm actually happy we didn't kill that bull. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy. We were like, walk out. And, and then we were about six miles from the pickup. And then we had a screamer there, another bull. We were just like exhausted after that. We're like, oh, it's another bull. And he's not that far from the trail. So then we went after that bull. And it was like the sun was coming down. Then we ended up blocking out really late in the dark. Probably got back to the pickup at about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, pitch black. And just so hard not you can't kill them if you don't chase the bugles that's just the thing a lot of guys will hear a bugle and just walk past it and hope that there's another one elsewhere but um we go after every bugle but the deeper the hole the bigger they have to be that's that's our logic travis we called in a really well trav was not that picky last year he said he'd shoot a five-point bull elk and we were I think seven or six we were seven miles back and we got in a hole and called him this bull just full-on rut just goofy he was just really goofy and we just couldn't Travis just couldn't pull the trigger we just knew how much work that was going to have to be for that little five point <laughs> but we heard the bugles so were like well if he's a 340 class bull we don't want to turn around and walk away well I'll do anything for a 340 bull so yeah yeah, I know there's some nasty places we've been, probably more than we can even keep track of. Yeah, but the bigger the animal is, the dumber you get. Yeah, That is true. <laughs> I think we have to tell a little bit of uh, the sheep hunt story. What? How long ago was that, Tana? What age were you? Tana was going to college. 13. Tana I think was going I was to 20 college. or 21. Anchorage in 2013 as air traffic control. And she drew a special sheep tag and we, um, dad and Tom and I and Trevor all scheduled our work around her sheep hunt and went up there with her and we were on foot. Um, we were scouting out the area on foot, which as Alaskans know, that's hard to do, especially when you're not familiar with the area. And, um, we got a couple leads and we hiked up this Creek and like probably four miles or so. And then we, tried to get some elevation and we were all together and the Creek. And when we walked up, it was about ankle deep. Um, we could walk up it with gators, no problem. And when we're about halfway up the mountain, um, we had our stuff to camp. It was, uh, a storm started to blow in and it was at the worst temperature when it was kind of rain and snow blowing, you know, maybe 50 miles an hour. It was howling like crazy. And I pulled my spot and scope out and I saw some sheep. So we knew we were in a decent area, um, but there was nowhere to camp because we're on the side of side of this mountain. So we were trying to make it to the top and um, I had fairly good gear on at the time. So it wasn't too big of a deal for me, but I look back at um, our dad and he looked pretty, pretty ill looking and, you know, dad's just a tough old logger. He never complains or even when he is in pain, he doesn't, he doesn't say he is. And he, he just looked at me and he said, I'm physically ill. And I knew that we were in trouble and hypothermia was setting in on him. And, um, we got to the top of this ridge and said, let's, uh, we have to get out our tent and, you know, basically get dad and Tana and whoever else just snuggled up next to him and get him warm. 
and we went to take this little Walmart tent out that we had. We never <laughs> used it before. I think it was a Cabela's and tent, wasn't it? Maybe it was Cabela's. We were we were trying really hard Same to keep thing. it all together, and half of the tent blew away in the wind, and all the instructions and everything. So we basically just had the two tarps that we climbed into the zipper and got Dad stripped down and into a sleeping bag, and it was a uh, it was scary though. My dad was. He was on the verge of going full-blown hypothermia and frostbite or whatever you want to call it. He was, it was, I've never seen him like that. It was scary for all of us. And the reason for it was he just wasn't properly prepared. He had his, his work car hearts on cotton, you know, and cotton shirts. Stubborn old just, man. <laughs> everything just got soaking wet. And when you get soaking wet, wind blowing like that, it was, it, that was by far the most miserable night of sleep. Then the wind got worse. Like when we, when we glassed those sheep, the wind wasn't that bad. And then I just remember as we just ascended that hill, it just, I couldn't even stand up. And I just remember, I remember Tom, this is a horrible story. He, he had to pee so bad in the middle of the night, (laughs) but this is part of the adventure and, and he wouldn't go outside obviously. And so he like rolled out the very crack of the sleeping bag, like downwind of everybody. And, He's this dehydrated pee that basically blows back in the tent over, just wafts over all of us. It was just horrible. And then we wake up the next morning and we realize, well, that no sheep is worth killing our dad. So we got to get the heck out of here. And the, the rain never quit. So um, we weren't very familiar with some of that Alaska country. And when we got down to the creek, that ankle deep creek was now a belly button deep on Tana and a raging whitewater river. And it was pretty sketchy. We had to, um, me or Trevor would, would go across first holding a rope and we'd stretch a rope across the river and then Tana would have to hold onto the rope and, um, go, you know, go through the whitewater to get across. We had to cross the river several times to get out of there. So we were just absolutely soaking wet and got out of there, but you know, needless to say, we got a sheep in the next couple of days when weather cleared and we made a hike again and got one, but that was, that was, that was, a, that was a miserable day for sure. That was definitely misery, but also one of the most memorable, I would say. The hard ones you remember. I remember, I remember the pain of my brown bear hunt, Trav, and you probably remember my face of disgust after I dislocated my shoulder and I wanted to cry like a little girl sitting there in the snow <laughs> thinking, am I going to make it out or how's this going to work? I was, yeah, that was horrible too. I was feeling bad for it. I was like, well, I'm glad that he's the one that shot that this far back. So he's got the heaviest. <laughs> yeah. Yours wasn't light either. You took the skull and all my gear. So it wasn't, no. easy. It wasn't well, I, easy. Well, I got a better story. So it was 2014. I was chasing a bull and it felt like I chased him forever. Just you know, around the hill, just doing crazy loops. And finally I challenged him. He came in, I shot him. And I was like, man, I'm like two miles back from the pickup. And I look at the GPS and I was like, 416 feet. That can't be right. I got this really nice six point bowl. And I, and I literally, I just like, I start walking down the hill and I look and there's the pickup. I'm like, holy crap. How did, did we do that? did a big loop around. <laughs> I did a big loop around and he crossed the creek and I crossed it. And yeah, he, after I archered him, he died right above the pickup. And I had them all packed out before lunch. 
he was out the all the quarters and everything. Yeah, Tom was going, Tom was going <laughs> on a morning hunt up in the mountains, and I was building a house at the bottom of the drainage for a customer. And yeah, same Tom, drainage. Tom showed up to my uh, job site with the crew working with a nice hole in the back, and said, "How did you pack that thing all by yourself?" Sometimes they're close. When you actually think of it, some of our biggest elk we've killed have been closer to the vehicle, and then all the like the smaller six points are like in the teen mile back. It's like it's like what are we doing wrong here? What how is it that like we're killing big bulls two miles from the pickup and then these little bulls end up we kill them twelve miles back? It should be the opposite. Oh no, it just kind of randomly looked that way because usually it is the opposite. Yeah. Tom, what's the most common question you get on YouTube? What guns do you shoot? <laughs> what gun do you use? Every time. We use a 338 Ultra Mag. Well, that's going to change this year. Though. So now I'm going to have to re-answer that completely different. And I feel bad because a lot of YouTubers actually already know, so they'll answer the question for me. But now we'll be shooting a 300 Short Mag. We're going to share one by Lane Precision Rifles. And it's going to be specifically for wolf hunting. And, well, I mean, it could still take down some bigger game, but it's not going to be a long-range gun. When I mean not a long-range gun, it's not going to be reaching the over 700, 800 yeah. yards. It's, going to, it's still going to be set up to where you can shoot probably up to 500 plus, but it's mainly a timber-pounding gun. Um, one a little more for close range shots for wolves and, and even we we got suppressors ordered and that's, that's kind of what we set it up for too. shorter barrel so that it's not as heavy with the suppressor. Um, yeah, we're trying to move away from muzzle brakes, just taking one too many muzzle brakes in our lives. So, and so we're going to get away from that. So 338 Ultra, yeah, that's what we shoot. But No plans on changing. I, I looked yeah. at getting a 375 once we got up here. I was a, a big hit for a lot of people. And I looked at ballistics and everything, and I just I can't see. We push a 225-grain bullet at 3,200 feet per second, and it just has so much energy. and Knocks down it, big game. Yeah, it just works. It's good for three yards out to – as far as you want to be comfortable shooting. Well, it's hard to avoid. It's hard to not, you know, to want anything smaller, especially when you guys, you're hunting, you know, moose and Alaskan brown bear. Those, you want the 338 Ultra Mag for that. That's just like a no brainer. Like after you see what it, how. Yeah, I'm not going to take a 300 Win Mag to Alaska. I'll be taking that. I mean, I'll be bringing the 338 Ultra. Yeah. I just I just know what bears can take, and I sh- I've shot a few bears that take a lot of bullets, and they just keep going. I don't know what it is about them, but they just keep on going. Yeah, well, keep I'll like that says, even the mosquitoes up there are ten times bigger. Yep, they're out and about. Saw the first a- one yesterday. Tom's afraid of big guns because I gave him too many concussions when he was a cameraman, and he was real close to me and thick timber, and now his ears are ringing, and so. You know, we're all just going to be more careful with hearing protection when we're shooting those big guns. We're, we're getting silencers. 
we're getting um, ear dampening hearing aids or whatever we need to do to protect our hearing because we want to be able to hear an elk bugle when we get older. That's what's important to us. Yeah. Yeah. Protect your ears. Definitely. Somebody asked, do you really see wolves as a virus that shouldn't exist? Don't hold back, Tom. If there was a way to manage wolves where we actually had good numbers of deer and elk and moose, then I'd say, no, I don't think they should exist. But at this time, it's so hard not to say it when you see, I would rather have several species of animals than one species of animal. That's really what you're asking for, like with wolves. Um, It's like, it's either A, you have wolves, and you have very little of everything else. You have very little deer, very little elk, very little moose. Or what do I, or do I want to get rid of wolves? And you have lots of deer, lots of elk, lots of moose. Um, it's a, that's a tough question because we haven't seen, we're still waiting for this rebound. We're with all the managed management that that's been going on with the trappers and the hunters. They finally have allowed us to, to do that. And there's certain areas where we're starting to see a little bit of wildlife come back, but the wolves just reproduce so fast. And if you're not on top of it, it's just like, it's like nothing's ever happened. Like, you know, you're just taking two steps backwards. Um, so in a way I do see wolves as a virus. I didn't at first. It's as bad as the coronavirus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think you have to think of a virus and how fast it spreads. That's kind of how wolves are. They, yeah, they I, reproduce really fast. They spread really fast, and it's taking everybody out. <laughs> yeah, man. So. Well, it's it's just people react to a virus different. I oh, I, I did this in a post. I said <laughs> I said people react to a virus differently when it's cute and has four legs, yeah. and and so like if the coronavirus was a wolf, people wouldn't. They'd be like, oh, no, everything's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what they've done with the wolves is they're like, no, no, everything's fine just because it's a cute animal. And and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm actually having fun wolf hunting. So that in some way you're like, you kind of want wolves. So you can still hunt, but then you have to remember what's happened, you know, how the, how the whole atmosphere of has changed. All the backcountry is just been slaughtered by wolves and so um we i think if i think we just really need to just knock down as many as we can and see what wildlife will come back the unfortunate truth i don't think we're going to wipe them out as much as some of us want to not going to happen it's not going to happen they're always going to be here so to all the wolf lovers who are saying oh how dare you it's like they're still here they're always going to be here um, we're just trying to manage them just enough to where we start to see our numbers return. You know, we want to see the, I saw, there was one area I got a little bit excited. It was like, wow, I haven't seen this many moose in a while. I saw like six moose in one day. And then I realized that all those cows did not have a calf. I'm like, okay, well, that's the problem is you're not getting that reproduction, you know, mm-hmm. well, even if a moose can defend itself, a calf doesn't can't make it its first year. And yeah. so like I saw six cow moose in a drainage last fall mule deer hunting and not one of them had a calf. 
And that's sad because you know why. There was plenty of, there was bulls in there. There was bull moose in there, but they're just, the wolves are just not allowing the moose to reproduce quick enough, you know? It's unfortunate when the predators are reproducing faster than their prey. That's just, it's a bit backwards there, so. This is what I said once I was getting by a gal that was uh, working on a project for the Discovery Channel about wolves, and it never got aired because they thought I was too radical or something. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is just my personal opinion. Um, I mean, and I have a lot of respect for wolves. I've seen, you know, they're super smart and intelligent animal. They hunt together as a pack. I think they're a cool animal, um, but I also kind of have gained a hatred for him just because I've seen how all of our lives as sportsmen have been affected by it. And Idaho has always been a opportunist state for hunters. I mean, we've got a lot of seasons, a lot of tags. Anybody can come by a tag and go hunting. And um, it's really hurt that um, in a, in a negative way because all of our, our game is taken out. So this is what I told the lady. I said, in my opinion, you know, back when we had buffalo in the Lewis and Clark day, when we had buffalo and all these animals running all over the place, and there was very few few people here, just mainly the natives um, running around hunting, there was, there was room for wolves and there was room for people. Um, but now look how many more people has populated the earth since that time and how many more people live here. And um, all the sportsmen out there are trying to harvest a deer or elk to feed their family and help feed their kids for the year. And then you have wolves on top of it. So it's a double whammy. There's room for one or the other, or they have to be managed ex extensively to be able to maintain the elk and deer numbers. So that was just kind of my opinion. Back in the day, they served their purpose. Yes, they probably took out some of the weak and the old, but there was enough animals to go around. Now that the U.S. is completely populated, and there's sportsmen out there trying to fill their tags. There's no, there's not room for them. They're eating us out of house and home. Yeah. And, and so, there's less game too. So it's just kind of the cycle where, you know, like Tom said, the animals are decreasing, the predators are increasing, more people mm -hmm. hunting, trying to sustain their families, that kind of thing. There's only and people and really. They're different, they're different than what um, you see in Alaska. I mean, you guys have seen it more than anybody, but you know, in Alaska, wolves will, will be in one area, they'll harvest, they'll kill a, a moose or a caribou, and then they might be out of that drainage for sometimes a month before they come back and, and kill another one. Well, here we just saw it it's so timbered. Um, they didn't do that here. They didn't travel like that. They literally would get in a drainage and they would annihilate it. You know, there was a pack when they first, uh, when we weren't able to trap them or harvest them, and there was a, um, there was a pack of 13 wolves that I knew of in one drainage. And they literally just stayed in that drainage for four years. You could go up there and you could see their track on any given day. And they basically annihilated the moose, the mule deer, and the elk in that one drainage. And it's never recovered, not even close to recovered. That's and that was 10 years ago. And it was just, it was just sad to see. I mean, I saw, I saw six dead moose laying in the road one day when I drove up there. Six different dead moose in a half mile stretch of road they were, and half of them weren't eaten on all killed by wolves. It was just a, when you see stuff like that and then you get people online commenting saying, how dare you? You just like, you don't, you have no clue. You have no clue what you're talking about sitting at your computer in some city that you think a wolf is cute. 
um, yeah. come to my town, come see what I see. And they're probably still too stubborn. They won't realize it, but it's ruined our way of life. And so we get worked up over it. Then we work hard and we spend a lot of time and our money and um, some trappers are specifically dedicated to it because it's ruined their life as far as the going out and harvesting animals. Yeah. A lot of these, a lot of these guys that are retired, they want their grandchildren to experience what they experienced. And so they're doing all they can in their time of retirement and trying to knock down all these wolves. And they're, a lot of them are doing a good job, but it's just, it's just a never ending battle. The, the thing is right now, Idaho has actually been doing really well, but we have two neighboring states that have not been doing so well. So we're, we're pretty much now we're killing Montana and Washington wolves that are pouring through and trying to take over Idaho territory. The trappers are knocking them out and we get a pack that moves in. And so everybody needs to work together. So, you know, we're, we're working against the grain right now. And we've talked to, you know, Sterling, you know, recently and he, and, you know, Montana is just not allowing people to manage them the way they should be they have a season but it's not enough and washington's not doing anything at all um you know travis and utana got that one wolf that was killing that native the last of our little caribou herd in idaho and guess what color that came from it was a washington wolf collar so so i mean it wasn't even our wolves they those Washington wolves that crossed over and were killing our native caribou. So it's, yeah, it's, there's, there's, I would like to say there's a love and hate relationship with wolves, but I think it's just more of a hate. I don't, I don't think people understand how efficient a wolf is or a pack of wolves. If they, I've seen it up here and the snow tells a pretty good story and you track it down a snow machine or you fly a wolf track with an airplane you see what they can do. And if a pack of wolves, even two, are on a track, pretty much you know they're going to kill it and you're going to end up on a kill. And I've seen that. I've seen calf moose only partially eaten and stuff and other stuff not eaten. And other, other people say they'll come back to it. And I, I don't know if I believe that because the birds will clean it up so quick. They're so hungry in the cold winter that they're mm-hmm. just going to clean it up and the wolves will just go kill something else. And so I don't think people realize how good they are at killing and that's what God set them up to do, but man, they can do some destruction big time. Big time. Next. Well, it seemed like originally when it first happened, like they weren't really coming to their kills at all, but I think they really, they will if they're like desperate to, like they can't find food, they come back. But if yeah. they're consistently bumping in the food, they just kill and then move, kill and move and just get a bite out and get a little bit of energy. Yeah. And then, you know, and you know, our friend recently actually just found a dead elk with, well, it was right before the shedding season, so it still had its rack on. And it had both of its back tendons ripped out and just just left. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, he found a blood trail in the snow with the wolf tracks following it. And then as he was tracking, he was thinking he was going to find whatever they killed. And the wolves all of a sudden veered off the bull and just gave up. And he tracked the bull another uh, mile or so. And there lay the bull blood out. The wolves never followed up on it after they hamstrung the bull. So mm-hmm. really pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like a nice size one too. A five point rancorn, I think. Really good genetics though. Yeah. Young bull. Same area that I same area that I was talking about that they annihilated ten years ago. Same drainage. Well, yeah, it's not left. Man. 
hard to come Not back right. from that. Uh, we had another question. I think this is for Travis on our most recent YouTube video. Let me see. Did Travis quit quit hunting? Wish you guys would post more. Great hunts. The people <laughs> the people want you back, Trav. I'm just about there. I'm just about back. I just had a rough rough year or two. Um, you know, a lot of people they they have their house set up and they're living in it, or they have a a goal in mind of they're going to have a house when they're forty or fifty years old. Well, we kind of bought our dream property last year, the place we want to retire on, and it came with a lot of sacrifice, and that included a lot of hunting. Um, that we bought this bare piece of land, we had to put utilities into it, build a house on it, and I've got that um, all finished up. And so I expect this year to be a better year. Last year was the worst hunting year I ever had. Um, just lack of time. And when you have all that money invested in a house, you got to get it finished. You got to get it dried in. So and that's why a lot of sacrifice. And now we're, we're doing that for Tom. Now Tom's going to build a house. So last year was definitely, I would you probably notice that anyone who's listening to this probably noticed that a lot of my hunts were filmed solo this year because I didn't, Travis was too busy. Now it's going to be the opposite. Tom's going to be busy and I'll go hunting. So. Yeah, so we're just at that time of life. We got little kids. I got three little ones. Tom has two. We're trying and... to settle down. And sometimes you got to take a little, you do have to sacrifice. I mean, we, we always want to go out and play, but um, you do have to sacrifice some time to, to get settled in. And I am planning to hunt this year, so <laughs> I'm not planning to quit hunting, but you could say that this spring bear, for example, I, you know, some people have asked me already, have you been seeing any bears? I'm like, I did see one, but I just haven't had time to even think about going out and bear hunting. Yeah. But like you Trav know. said, wait till they're all out, you know, might find one that's a little more rubbed, but your odds are going to be so much better. I mean, yeah, but we got to see if we're even able to, I mean, Trav can, whatever. <laughs> I might, I, I get the itch and sometimes I need to get a break from work and yeah, run up the mountains. And makes get... for some long days. You get up early, you go to work and then, mm -hmm. and then you're hunting late at night and you get a bear or something and packing out, it can, can get tiring. Well, this Corona thing's just got everybody just messed up. I can't get, I just sold my bow and now I can't get another bow because <laughs> everybody's shut down. All these businesses are shut down. So I'm like, crap, I'm, Bowless. I got turkeys and are just right out the driveway, just gobbling. Okay, next question. Tana, go. Do you guys eat bear meat? Depends. Yeah, we've tried bear meat. Um, I try and pack pack some out if it's uh, if it, the meat looks good. But I found I, we shot one bear a while ago that had worms in it, and it's really kind of grossed me out in it, to be honest. And, um, a lot of times, well, in Idaho here where we hunt bears, uh, you don't legally have to take it. You have to either take the meat or the hide and the skull out. And so if it's a nasty looking bear, no, I do not. That's the honest truth. I'm not going to eat the meat. Um, we do it more as a predator management instead of a, a meat harvest. So we've got, you know, deer and elk um that we eat and we eat the smokies too but it, like i said if the bear meat looks really good i bring it out and i mix it with my smokies and we've rendered down bear fat and you know we use it when when it looks good 
But after seeing that one bear with worms in it, that was just super gross. It was worms all over in the meat. And uh, it's really grossed me out ever since. So if I don't legally have to do it, like I said, we get out there and we bear hunt. We spend the time and money to try and harvest bears because I've seen the havoc that they put on the, uh, the, the elk calves and moose calves and fawns. Mm-hmm. You know, we've witnessed it personally. A couple of our videos show that. Um, mm-hmm. When I was able to spend a lot of time bear hunting in the spring, I saw it twice in one year where a cow elk dropped her calf and we watched a bear kill it. And then we killed both the bears. So, yeah. And one thing with bears, though, we don't look at them a lot like what we do with wolves. Um, like, you know, wolves, we do have kind of like that, like we were talking earlier. We we kind of have a grudge with them, but bears, they have been here naturally. And so we do manage them, but we're not, with bears, we're not trying to get rid of them. We just, we're just trying to not, you know, keep their numbers low until, until the deer and elk numbers start popping up. We're trying to, Kind of really just keep all the predator numbers down until they, until our wildlife comes back. Cause in real, in real, you know, people are worried about the predator numbers going extinct. If you actually look at it, if you act, if you have the food source from them, they'll grow and they'll come back. And that's what's yeah. always happened. You know? So. And the trouble is we go in the woods and you can, uh, we'll pick up our motion camera and we'll have cougars, we'll have coyotes, we'll have wolves. We'll have bobcats and we'll have two and we'll have grizzly bears and we'll have black bears on our motion camera. And we have two cow elk pictures and it'll sit there for a full summer. And that's, what's disgusting. We have more predators that eat elk and deer than we have elk and deer. And that's why we're so predator management mode, trying to give our kids a chance to grow up with some of the things that we grew up with. Well, it's getting to a point now where predators are eating predators. You know, that's, that's not good. So like we got wolves killing bears. And so it's, you know, they're running out of their food source. So now they're just killing each other out. So it's, it's getting, we're, we're off balance right now. Oh yeah. yeah. And people don't know that. And so we're trying to keep a balance back. Trying to bring it back in some way. Yeah. And we did try bear this winter. We cooked some up with bacon and it actually tasted good. But like, yeah. Adam, tell them about your bear last year. Cause that was disgusting. The one I shot my bow. Yeah. Yeah. I just had worms and stuff like all over big it. worms all through the skin. And there's no way the anyone would have like, tried not. to eat that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. people, a lot of people don't know bears carry trichinosis. So if you do eat bear meat, you're going to want to cook it thoroughly to whatever temperature to kill. That parasite that's in the meat, but I'm we're talking full on larva stage in like between the size of a quarter, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, in between the hide and the meat, and then just integrate in all in the meat. And that was a brown bear. Alaska has different units have different dates, but if it's before a certain date, sometimes you have to keep hide skull and meat. And then sometimes it's like Trav said, meat or the hide and skull for black bears. Brown bears you don't have to salvage meat in any of the units so yeah if we shoot a black bear up here um we will but i'm just not that i've killed enough black bears i'd rather shoot brown bears and they're the ones that really do damage on our moose calves in the springtime so it's it's a predator management thing for us too and kind of like tom and trav said i wouldn't say a good bear is a dead bear but it's a predator management thing for us but the bigger older mature bears are going to be better efficient killers so you kind of kill two birds with one stone. If you get a real trophy class bear that's old, 15 to 20 years old, they figured out how 
take those moose calves down one after another. So you're really helping out the population, we feel like. Adam, do you have the statistics on that? Didn't you talk to a biologist about the survival rate? Yeah, I just know some people have done moose calf surveys and they have cow moose with collars and the first month it was like 50 or 55 percent fatality and they don't know the the predation but they assume it's from bears and so those big old mature mature boars um just like Travis said on videos i've talked to guys and they'll see a moose dump a calf and they'll see a bear work and they catch that scent and they just follow that scent right in like a bird dog and grab the calf smash it eat it lay down for 20 minutes get up go find another one kill that one and just that's a potential 240 class moose if that's a bull, you know. And uh, if you're killing the moose calves, they don't have a chance to grow up. Yeah, and that's what, that's exactly right. And um, you're right about all that. We saw both the bears that we saw that I that killed elk calves were both older, mature boars. I've also watched where a glass in a hillside before, and those boars that have it figured out um will go from her they'll just smell the elk in general and so i was glad when i heard an elk and then all of a sudden here comes a bear downwind about a half a mile away from the elk and it was at that time of year when the calf should have been dropping and that bear knew it and he just came right into the elk herd and then he just started uh zigzagging like crazy um chasing the elk around because he knew that there was some calves there and so, like you said they just once the once they have it figured out they know the game and there's probably one bear that kills, you know, most of them in their drainage once they have it figured out. I was talking to a guy who found seven hooves, seven calf hooves in a bear's gut. Wow. In a bear's gut. Yeah. So they, they, they do get it figured out and they, they can do some damage. But it, it's, I mean, it's stinks so because it's not even much of a meal either. You know, it's one thing if like an animal actually kills like a full grown elk and it buries it and it eats on it. But like a calf is no, it's like that would have been a large animal that could have fed many animals. And instead, now they killed like a 10, a 10 pound, 15 pound calf or, or fawn. And it's a snack and they go kill another and as we know, they don't reproduce quickly. Here, they'll reproduce either they have one or two calves a year. Even worse. You know, they don't have near the reproductive rate like a deer and elk. So, okay, I got uh, next I mean, question. How did you guys become such good hunters? Love the videos. You guys are the real deal. Let's um. Well, I think, I think part of it was, you know, our dad has worked really hard over his life and he provided us with some property to grow up on where we had elk and deer on the property. And so at a young age, just being able to watch the animals, you know, year round, whether it was in hunting season or not, and be able to um, see how they act, be able to hear them, you know, at night bugling or uh, watching the deer during the rut. I mean, that just helped a lot. And then, you know, just um, one of the things that dad always says is just, you know, learn from the people that are successful. So, you know, I was, for, I was friends and hunting buddies with a lot of successful hunters out there. And you just kind of pick up on things that, uh, that other guys are successful to do. And um, I always just try and think outside the box a little bit, you know, what, 
this is what everybody else is doing. I've never necessarily been a follower on doing what everybody else is doing. I'm trying to think to the next step of um, where is that bull going to hide with all this people pressure? That's what I'm trying to think about. And so those are the little things we've learned over the years um, in hunting. And it's just, you know, it takes a lot of drive and it takes a lot of uh, not giving up attitude. Just go, go, go and, until you're successful. I think a lot of it experience too. I mean, the definitely people like help, like it at least lays down the foundation of knowledge, you know, like it, if it, it's so hard for a guy to just get out and just figure out how to hunt, that's just, it's hard to do. But if you actually have someone to kind of mentor you, our, us, it was our dad and it was his friends. And it was, like I said, Trav's friends. I learned a lot from Trav. Travis was very um, observant. And, and I've, one thing I've noticed, and there's these, there's the people that, you know, in some way they, they do follow people like, and where they hunt, but they don't try to figure out, but why is that hunting area good? You know, like, if, you know, cause even our areas, we have, we have really like secret hunting spots. We wouldn't take people, but there's, there's years where it's not good, but you have to figure out why is it not good? Is it the weather? Is it because it's not the rut? Um, there's a lot of different factors. Is it hunting pressure? Trav brought that up. Pre- predation. Um, you know, all those factor in. And I think the one thing I've learned too, and and this is hunting too, not just with Travis, but with a recent friend of ours, I just understood that the guys that are successful are very, first they have a drive and they put in the time but they're also very observant and this specific individual I was hunting with, he was far more observant than I was. And he would, any rock that was misplaced, he would look at it. And he's like, Hey, check this out. What do you think happened here? And all of a sudden we'd start observing it and realize it was a black bear that rolled the rock, you know, and it was something that we just walked past or the wolf pack. Um, you know, we, we were able to harvest two wolves out of this pack and he was observing the beds and where they were bedding and howling back at us the following day, you know? So it's about being observant too. And, and putting in the time. Yeah. yeah there's it's just so many factors. It's hard to really say what makes, but it's really time and just being observant and thinking outside the box. You have to think, you have to try to imagine what the animal is doing and why it does what it does. And yeah. That, and yeah. I want to say one thing about that too. And um, I think that you guys said Sterling touched on this a little bit with wolves. Um, but if you really want to know what an animal does, you really want to figure out an animal, get out there with some snow and start tracking one. If you want to see where they move, where they bed, where they go to eat. And it is just fascinating. Um, to track a bull elk or a buck or a wolf or a bear, whatever you're trying to go for and see their mannerisms. And you can tell by their tracks. It's, it's really neat. We've tracked a lot of bull elk and they'll, and mule deer bucks and they'll, um, you know, they'll make a zigzag. They'll go up and watch their, they'll lay down and they'll watch their backtrack. I mean, they are expecting a predator to come up their track and, you know, whether it be a wolf or whatever, they're expecting that. So they're really smart in that way. And so you have to outsmart them in that way. You have to come in from maybe the back door. If you know what direction they're, com- they're coming from and you'll see a bull elk bedded down watching his backtrack. 
you know, things like that. What do you mm-hmm. think, Tana? You're pretty successful from a woman's perspective. Um, my brother's taught me a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. I think I learned most from my mistakes. <laughs> Lots of practice. But yeah, being observant, I feel like every year that I hunt, I become more observant to my surroundings, to tracks, to things that are misplaced, to you know, anything that's wrong with that tree and broken off branches, you know, I'm becoming more observant. Um, but two tracking them in the snow, like Travis said, is a really great way to see their mannerisms, see how they act, see their patterns and yeah, staying close to their food source. Mine was pretty simple. I just quit drinking and then I was able to get up (laughs) early in the morning and, uh, Combine that with marrying into a pretty hardcore hunting family. I, I mean, I hunted quite a bit, but I was never, I guess, as successful I was as I am now. And I think I made a lot more mistakes and just, I, you know, everyone here has made a lot of mistakes. And just think about, you used to hear an elk bugle and you just run right towards it. And pretty soon that bull is going to win you every single time. And then you pretty, eventually... It might take me a couple times to figure out. You got to check the wind and actually buy one of those wind checker things and figure out which way the wind's working. And even though it takes two hours to go all the way around through alders to get downwind of a bull, you know you have to do it to even have a chance. And so a lot of mistakes. And then, yeah, learned a lot from Trav and Tom and then just trying to keep up with them. I didn't want to look like the future new brother-in-law and look like a wuss. So I had to keep up. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be a good hunter... My advice is surround yourself with people that are good hunters. Yeah. And I'm, I'm totally with Adam there. I mean, I remember that it was this way with snowmobiling. It was this way with hunting. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of my friends have have uh, maybe quit drinking or partying as hard after hanging around me um, because they'd be like, man, I just, I can't keep up to you on a snowmobile. It's like, and they, they figured it out. It's like, cause I was hung over from the night before or, or it was like, how did you, you know, guys would want to turn around because they had a stomach ache from drinking or partying too hard. And I would keep going and then I, I would kill a bull elk and they'd be like, gosh, dang it. I'm not going to party as hard next time. And so, um, I mean, I did have some time where I partied, but it was always important to me to hunt. And so I was always really, um, careful about that. I never ruined a hunting day because I wanted to go party. It was always, Oh, I got to get to bed because, you know, I got to get up the next morning at two o'clock in the morning and go hunting. And, you know, it came with a lot of sacrifice. I think, um, Oh, I wasn't the best at sports. I don't, I'm six force and I didn't feel like I quite grew into my height until I was after high school. I was fairly uncoordinated kid. And so hunting was just my thing. I was good at hunting. I wasn't good at football. I wasn't good at basketball. And so during the time when we were younger and all my other buddies were in sports, you know, I was up killing elk and deer after school. Um, and so we just started at a young age and that was just our passion. That's what we focused on. But Adam brings up a great point. Um, you know, it's hard to do it when you're out, when you're out partying all the time. And, and some of my buddies have also been, or I've had a lot of comments on YouTube. How do you guys afford to hunt as much as you do? And you know, that, that was our bad habit was hunting but we didn't drink, we didn't smoke, we didn't spend any money on really, um, habits like that, that just, you're basically just, you're spending money on something that's just temporary. 
And the next day when you wake up, that money's, that money's blown. You know, we, we were spending money on our hunting. We saved our money and that's what we spent it on. And you can't, you don't even know where the money goes. And I remember getting up with Tom at like one thirty in the morning. I was thinking, man, there's no way I could ever close down big Al's till two or two thirty last call and then, <laughs> and then be able to get up and go shoot elk. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Can't do both. So, it takes some sacrifice. Yeah. Um, you might as well close off this Q&A with what's your most, I don't know if I should say embarrassing or that you just really screwed up on. Like, that was dumb. Why did I even do that? I got one. I, got funny. I have a lot. <laughs> well, Go, before, oh, originally, I, so I didn't know I was blind. Um. I had to go to that. I just thought, like, at certain distances, you're not supposed to see that far. So, like, I would, and even in a classroom, sometimes I had a hard time focusing on the chalkboard. But, like, throughout, like, when I was about from when I was 12 to when I was about 16 or 17, I was having a hard time spotting things. And yeah, most of you wouldn't believe it because Tom is an exceptional hunter, but he was probably the most frustrating person to go hunting with between. Eight- 12 and 16 that <laughs> you really I was just shocked when he became a hunter a good hunter because I was like this kid I don't know if he's ever going to get him it's just animal. so like I was <laughs> I had the drive to hunt but I just couldn't figure it out I just couldn't I had a hard time well I killed a lot of big white tails but you know that's just rattling in thick timber um but I was having a hard time like picking out muleys in a burn or other things and I, I still remember the time where there's this big muley buck in a burn i can't see it and so finally and travis and dad both gave me the first opportunity and then finally travis had to shoot it dad just like trav you better shoot it you know and but like there was even same with shed hunting too like i just we'd go out of the mountains i'd come out with one moose paddle travel come out with seven i'm like what we came up we went through the same wintering range how did i end up and it was always like that but then finally i got my eyes checked and like you're you're blind like you can't see that far and so i got contacts and all of a sudden i was like i can see 200 yards away like i can see an animal that far and so i didn't realize and like my my shed hunting my antlers like i literally increased by like triple in finding or quadruple in finding antlers and of course hunting and if I saw a big bull elk here at one time, I feel like a big bull elk would show up again. And I've learned that's not how you hunt. You have to think outside the box. I think it took pretty much, pretty much my whole high school career of figuring out hunting. I guess for me, I wouldn't have like one hunt I would redo. I, I like those failures because that's how I've learned a lot of stuff of what not to do. And I don't want to do that again or, that definitely wasn't the best way to go about it. But when I was growing up, we hunted deer a lot, my dad and I. And we always had a saying, like, if we, if we saw elk, we thought we were doing good because elk were smart. And they were, like, the next level, almost like this mythical creature. And I do think elk are smarter than deer, but they do have a weakness that you can focus on in the rut and be able to capitalize on. So I wish I would have been able to – I'm not saying it's my dad's fault at all. I just wish I would have taken a passion of elk hunting – more seriously at a younger age so i would have been able to kill more bulls before i moved to alaska because we do miss elk hunting a lot and um they are hard to hunt and smart but they do have a weakness and patterns just like 
all animals do. I did pick up a, a black bear cub one time. Me and my buddy Vince in high school had a black bait over by Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And uh, we uh, were watching a movie on his iPod sharing headphones. And a sow came in behind us in our ground, ground blind we had built with sticks. And the cubs ran up a tree and we poked one of the cubs till it came down. I wrapped it up in a wool coat and I took a picture. And mom was probably watching this ready to kill us. But we had a 270 and we were ready to defend ourselves and that was pretty dumb but <laughs> you learn from your mistakes good thing i made it out of that one yeah. <laughs> oh, good times. what about you trav um yeah i can't really think of too many that i regret i mean i've had a couple big ones get away that yeah maybe i messed up on but like adam said that's how you learn just every time that you have an animal get away that you really want you say okay I mean, I would think about that. I'd think about that in my sleep and I would be like, how can I do better next time? And next time you're a little faster on the trigger or, and they don't get away. And then you think, I'm, you know, if that first experience wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have harvested this one. So everything teaches you in the hunting world. Do you have anything you want to put in there? What do you want to redo? There are, there are a couple elk whiffs that you have in there you might want to redo. Oh yeah, I have those. Tana's got a nemesis mountain. But the first thing that comes to mind is a decoy that I shot. So. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that on here, but I did shoot a decoy once. Not proud of it. Because, that was just because I told you to. <laughs> yeah. A big decoy monster. I was just a young child, didn't know any better. <laughs> that was a what not to do scenario. But we've all made mistakes. At least we learn from them and I think that's how you learn how to hunt. You surround yourself with people that know how to hunt. You ask questions, and then you just go, and you learn as well, you go. I feel, like, I feel like we have to dive deeper into that because people are going to be like, oh, what do you mean she shot decoy? So I have to tell the story. So my dad and I were logging, my dad and I were logging um, this piece of property, and every day that I was, or, you know, every couple of days, I'd see this decent buck run across the road in this one spot. Um, and we had, uh, permission from these people to hunt and a Tana at the time, she was super skinny and pretty weak when she was, what were you 12 years old or something First year hunting or first year, maybe 13. And she could hardly hold a, well, she really couldn't hold a rifle up freehand. She was, she was just skin and bones. And, um, so anyway, I took her road hunting as most big brothers <laughs> would do. For her first deer, and we come around the corner, and here's this buck standing out there in the same place that I've seen him before. And I didn't even look at him with my binos; I just took a glance and said, "There he is, Tana." I rolled down the window, and she shot across my lap out the pickup window. And I see snowfall out of the trees behind it, and I'm like, "What the heck? You must have missed. Shoot it again." So she shoots again, and then I and then I. I realized what it was. I was like, Oh great. And I went to take off. And of course, fishing game come out from behind us in front of us everywhere. It was a setup because, um, somebody I think had poached a deer there several days before that. So we get in trouble. Um, I told the fishing game officer, he was trying to get Tana to admit that I pulled the trigger cause he just wanted to get me in trouble. And that's not what happened. She's like, no, I did. And I just told him, I said, you know, Tatiana's too young to know better. I told her, I told her to do it. I took her hunting. So give me the ticket. And so 
I ended up getting a ticket from my, my misdemeanor said, um, aiding a minor from shooting from the road. And that was my one fishing game ticket that I've had over the years. So, um, anyway, that was the story. Yeah. (laughs) Did you, did you two learn from your mistakes? We learned a lesson and we learned a good lesson. Started going deeper into the mountains after that. I got stronger after that. <laughs> she can now hold a gun. She can now hold a gun up on her own. Yep, exactly. Oh, that was so funny. I just remember going to school because I, I think I was in middle school. And these two boys would make fun of me. They're like, I can't believe you shot a decoy. And literally like two weeks later, they did the exact same thing and got in trouble for the exact same thing. <laughs> so uh, it's like karma, dude. You you made fun of me and then you did the same thing. It was too funny. Well, and I remember we got a ticket in the mail um, and we we're like, what the heck is this ticket for? And it said for repairs of the decoy. So we were all proud of Tana because she nailed it twice. Yeah, at least I right, hit it, right? And the shoulder, <laughs> she hit it. <laughs> And it was a 200-yard shot, 250 yards. It was a good shot with an old 30 out six with that old man seven-pound trigger. That was a 338 Ultra Mag. That, that yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> it was just split in half and fell off. Like, yeah. like what happened? I It didn't really catch on, or I didn't catch on the first shot. I was like, shoot it again. I'm like, okay. So I shot it again. And then after it didn't move, we're like, mm, this is not right. Not right at all. Busted. Busted. Well, Tom, can you just to kind of end a little bit? Can you give us what we're looking forward to for YouTube videos that are coming up? You guys, I I posted everything I have right now, and so, so it's Alaska we're, stuff. We're looking, yeah. I'm keep on posting Alaska stuff. Um, you guys, Tana's record book caribou. Um, what else? Oh, Adam's caribou. It's a nice one. And then Tiana's archery brown bear, which it's going to be a while because um, we submitted it to full draw film tour, but because of the Corona, they haven't been able to do their, their movie premiere. So we're kind of in limbo. They're not knowing what to do. Um, I'll just keep tabs with them. See if they're even going to have a movie premiere this year, any movie premiere. Or I don't know what you call it. It's not movie premieres. Uh, just film, uh, film tour. Yeah, film tours. Just film tours. Yeah, sorry, it's film tours. And yeah, they may not have them this year, and we might just have to just post post your bear. It's a great video. Um, yeah, we're getting really a lot of questions. When's that video coming out? So it is. Su- it is superb. It it brought me back from all the making fun of Tom and Trav ever has. And there was so much writing on me to not mess that up when Tana. Good one. A really good one. We're saving the best for last. So it's the best for last. It'll be the last episode. Yeah. So if you haven't already, go watch the new Stuck in the Right YouTube videos from this spring and winter that Tom has posted. And leave any comments or questions there. Subscribe, share it with your friends, whatever you want to do. But we're just going to continue to get as many videos as possible to share with you guys going out in a few days i'm pretty excited so thank you guys for coming on today and answering questions thank you tana. thank you tana and adam that's it for today everyone thanks for joining us if you like the podcast please leave us a review and also reach out to us with any questions until next time